Where are you, John? What? You, you see me now? Ah! <laughs> Buddy. <laughs> nice to see you. So you say you have a new setup. Oh, yeah, I do. Hold on a sec. Yeah, um, can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Can you hear me adequately? Uh, yes, I can. Um, same, same old equipment. I just moved it to a different... Uh, different part of my office uh it's all sitting on my new desk yes uh tell me about this desk well here's the thing about it it's not really a desk it is a uh gladiator workbench like you'd get from a, a home depot yeah it's like a, a six foot long piece of two inch thick butcher block sitting on these steel legs adjustable steel legs you can you can like sawhorses uh no they're bolted to the they're bolted to the wood top but they go up they go down uh they go up they go down exactly nice to standing desk level can you do it as a i could stand in here working yeah like if i wanted to repurpose it as a straight up um workbench then i could do that Mm. So, what, what prompted what prompted this radical? I was trying to figure out why I never worked in my office. I have this nice space, and uh, some of the some of the uh, fun things I have, like a like a guitar or three, mm-hmm. and my computer were in here. Why do I always take my laptop and go somewhere else in the house to to write? And I realized that the reason was that the desk was too cramped and too wobbly, and it was really just a a table. I think in a previous episode of the podcast, I talked about building it and painting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized I just needed something very, very sturdy. So I crowdsourced the question onto Twitter. And the nicest stuff that people sent me to was um, like a th- like $1,200 custom things on Etsy. And I wasn't going to do that. So, um, and this was 300 bucks and they delivered it to, to my door and I just assembled it. took about an hour and, uh, it's, it says that it's rated to, to hold 3000 pounds of weight. Was it delivered by gladiators? <laughs> like people in, you know, full gladiator outfit, maybe uh, with little capes. I wish I could tell you that sandals, it was. swords, swords. But um, no. it, it was a sh- it was like a freight. We're company. here with your desk, sir. <laughs> Wait a minute, they have they have British accents? They have posh British accents? These gladiators? I've I've watched enough movies to know that people <laughs> in the ancient world had British accents. <laughs> I think I know how the ancient Greeks and Romans taught. <laughs> we sure they talk like Shakespearean trained actors. Yeah, I being able to go ahead and use their normal accents. Even though they probably had prepped some, yeah. So anyway, uh, so that led to me um, realizing once I solved the main problem I had, I went around solving all the little problems too, tidying things up a bit, selling a few things that I w- needed to get rid of, and uh, I made some curtains for the room as well. Athena's beard. He plans to use this to write stories. <laughs> Quick. Take it back to the chariot. <laughs> That's just they're just kind of fishing for a bribe at that yeah. point. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, you know, once once Athena's beard has been invo- invoked, <laughs> there's no going back. Athena beard. 
Uh, so yeah, I'm very happy about my uh, office now. Uh, also, have- also, Ed, uh, mm-hmm. in order to make these curtains, I had to learn how to use a sewing machine. And let me tell you something. If you haven't sewed before, what an extraordinary piece of technology. It is an amazing piece of technology. It knows. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. It was very complicated. I mean, I'm sure it's not complicated to people who've been sewing their whole lives, but um, the whole process of of, th- of getting the thread onto the bobbin and then bring, putting the bobbin on the bottom part and then having the needle grab at the thread and pull it up in a loop. And then somehow these two threads are combining. Yeah. I just don't understand it. I'm, I, like, I, got, I took off my glasses and then put my eyes real close to it and did it super slowly to see if I could figure out what was going on. And I, it just seems like magic. I think it is magic. I, I've used a sewing machine. We don't have one right now. Um, I learned to use it in like theater stuff, stagecraft stuff. Right. And I don't, I just couldn't figure it out. (laughs) I can see why you might like it just because it's like a nice pen typewriter space thing. (laughs) Yeah. It, uh, it's equipment. It's a machine that, uh, um, is, uh, it's a a gateway machine. Well, of course I was, I was live tweeting my, my sewing machine, uh, learning process, but the thing I can um, compared it to was a tape machine. Uh, the technology is very similar. A recording uh, machine, or just like a cassette tape? A reel to reel tape machine, which no. I have one of right here, and um, it's very similar. The, the having to like guide the, the tape or the thread around a bunch of corners so that mm-hmm. everything is uh, pr- properly tensioned against everything else, and it does this. It seems like a weird kludge, and it ends up doing this miraculous thing. So, mm. so you say it's a gateway. Do you think I, I will soon be? I'll soon be sewing myself a three-piece suit. You could, you could. You need <laughs> to have the right scissors for you, that too. I don't think I should, though. Oh, I think you should. I think you should make a, a three-piece suit and wear it all the time. <laughs> I still, I, I, I have this. Uh, I have this purple velvet. Uh, jacket that i ordered from uh i think i've talked on this show about studio suits in uh india it's a great men's clothing place you see you know you give them you upload your your uh, measurements and they'll give you like a custom shirt or pants or something a very good price and i got a uh this velvet coat from them uh because i wanted to have a jacket like um like sati had sati had a had a custom purple velvet suit that he wore. And now I really regret not getting pants. I should probably go back and get the pants to go. Yeah, what it. pants do you wear with it? I just I have a bunch of slightly uh, slightly outlandish uh sport coats that I wear at work. I cycle yeah. through at work. So. But like what pants do you wear with a jacket? Like white jeans? No, just a pair of blue jeans usually. Try white jeans. Get a pair of white jeans. <laughs> I'm not going to get a pair of white jeans. Get some white jeans. What's the problem? Just well, order some pair of white jeans. I'm Not already. Tell anybody. I already. I already have. I'm already having problems admitting to myself my true age. I don't. I don't think I need to exacerbate the problem with inappropriate clothing. You think white jeans? Uh, are, make it clear who's who's young and who's not. Well, I am from the '80s. Yeah. So I guess it's sort of. It's. I guess. I mean, I've had them. You have had white jeans. Yeah, as a teen. 
I had white yeah. jeans. I guess that's why I associate them with youth because they were a thing people were wearing when I was young. How did the white jeans work out for you? I don't, I don't, I don't think my teen years worked out very well for me, but I don't know if it was the jeans' fault. Could have been the jeans. I began to thrive in adulthood. We'll put it that way. <laughs> in the post-white jeans era. Have we talked about So Fine, the film So Fine? I hope that we've talked about it. Do you know this movie from the actually maybe the 70s or early 80s? I don't think so. So oh, Fine. I think it had Ryan O'Neill. <laughs> okay. And it's about a blue jeans uh, uh, innovation, which they have like little plastic, um, some like some, some bare spots on the butt that I think are covered in plastic. Yeah. Uh, so I accidentally ripped jeans. People liked it, and so like he went into business. So fine, I think is the name of the jeans company. Yeah. Are you? Are you, are you looking? Yeah, it I'm up? looking it up now. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a very long description of the plot, um, but yeah, yeah, so fine is the name of the jeans company. Oh, I like this. Sometimes when there's not really a plot, um, <laughs> it takes a lot of text to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the large. The larger the explanation of the plot, the more likely it is that there's not really any plot. Yeah. At all. Yeah. You can describe yeah. the plot of like Dunkirk in a in a line or two. Yeah. W- World War Two. Yeah, World War Two. Rescue. Yeah. yeah. Ensemble <laughs> cast. Yeah. Yeah. Is Ryan O'Neill in So Fine? Am I getting that right? Yeah, you get you got it right. It's a uh, um, let's see cast. Uh, Ryan O'Neill has Bobby Fine. Uh, J- Jack <laughs> Warden is Jack Fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary- Larry Fine? No, 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 the Fines. Are- oh, Fred Gwynn is in it. Very good. <laughs> the cadaverous Fred Gwynn. Or I guess you wouldn't call him cadaverous. He's just unusually shaped, you, but he... You might now. Well, oh, oh too soon. <laughs> How to describe Fred Gwynn? Corpse mockery? <laughs> <laughs> just lying there. <laughs> Corpse mockery. I mean, no disrespect to uh, the great Fred Gwynn. No, okay, good. I, I, Who was I, the I, editor of the Harvard Lampoon in his year? Was he really? That's all you have to say about that? Well, you can always tell a Harvard man. <laughs> can you? Laying in his grave. <laughs> Because they say they went to college in Boston. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Refused to name their college. <laughs> you wouldn't have heard of it. <laughs> how can you tell if somebody likes Rush? Uh, I don't know how. They tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do. Oh, you know what? I just read, uh, just finished oh. this week, uh, the, the, the day, you know, Dave Weigel, the uh, political reporter. The um, the uh, uh, show that never ends. Yeah, the show that never ends. Yeah. I, I just finished reading it this past week, and I have That's to say, I do have a I I do have a weakness for for some of that music. I I I like King Crimson, especially eighties white jeans King Crimson, mm-hmm. and uh, I I kind of like Rush um, if I don't listen to what uh, what they're saying. Uh, but for the most part, what a bunch of jackasses. Oh, absolutely. These, these musicians all think that like the reason they fell into unpopularity is that people are stupid. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're just so disdainful of the 4-4 time signature. Yeah. Anyway. 
Um, I like that book a lot. I like his his argument that he tries to make, but of course the musicians themselves keep defeating it. That um, <laughs> that they were aware that it was over the top, and that that was a lot. Some of the fun that they were the reason why they were doing is that is it was it was sort of often it was they knew that it was funny. Yeah. But then, and I understand that argument, <laughs> but it is undercut at every turn <laughs> by the musicians themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, my my son's kindergarten or first grade teacher is a big Rush fan. I think I told you that. <laughs> you did. I sort of knew that she was on, she was about to retire. She's about to retire. Um, but the, her re- real retirement announcement came when when uh, I picked up Oscar from school and he asked me if I'd ever heard of the band Rush. <laughs> and then beyond that, uh, saying that I had. You grab yeah, him by the arm and say, who told you about Rush? He's, he's, well, then he got more specific. He says, says, have you heard about Neil Peart? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, I have, and I want to congratulate your teacher on a long career that <laughs> she is clearly bringing to a close on her own terms. <laughs> oh, that she's not on the test. <laughs> she just threw the threw the lesson plan out the window yeah. and let- <laughs> talk about Neil Peart today, kids. Queued up twenty one twelve. <laughs> I think that's what happened, and I think that's great. Suddenly, yeah. it's all rush—a rush-based Montessori. Suddenly, <laughs> in this public school, she's applying some learning methods. <laughs> so, was it was Pert the one? Is Pert the libertarian? Is he the the Ayn Rand I, freak? Probably or is it the whole uh, lot he, of them. He, well, he writes all, he's, he's, he writes all the lyrics. Right? Yeah, I think you're right. Drummer who writes the lyrics, which is oh. it's a bad, bad move to begin with. Because <laughs> you're either going to end up. Or the, I'm not. I mean, no offense to Mr. Pert. Of course, you likely do. you're going to end up with either really bad lyrics or really bad drumming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you're making a sacrifice. You're likely to. It's a risk. It's well, a risk. He's a he's a maximalist when it comes to both. I think you're getting plenty of each. Although I have to say that the the. Uh, the rock musicians I know who have really made the most of the life of it and have ended up being the most intelligent and creative people have, have been largely drummers. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, my friends and acquaintances who are still doing it, and you know, yeah. for real, and have figured out how to do it and how to enjoy it, have, have been the, the drummer People. I wonder if part of that is that it, when you're a drummer, you can always get a gig. Like people always need a drummer. Um, always need a drummer. And the drummer usually has a space to practice in. Too. Don't always need a guitarist. No, you do not. <laughs> There's usually an if overabundance. You one, if you need one, you can find one. You can find one. I know a guy. You know. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, the drummers don't give up. Go on. Play. Well, like like you know, play guitar, you can get kind of disillusioned or just get tired of it. Put the guitar away, do something else. Bass player, what were they doing in the first place? Um, the drummer, uh, he's got all the stuff. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you need an infrastructure to be a drummer, and once yeah. you've got it, you're going to use yeah. it. I, I was actually, I mean, the only thing I don't like about my current office is that I can't put a, a drum kit in it. <laughs> I really enjoy. I'm a terrible drummer, but I really enjoyed having a drum kit. So someday. 
Yeah. Someday. But having it, you know, it requires a whole room. It's a lot of space. But it's good. You want to at least have a little trap set in case you tell a good joke. <laughs> That's right. Now well, you also, know, you know, you can you do, told a good joke. You can do that all digitally now. I suppose so. Just take out the old phone and, you know, you say something that you think is funny and then you say, hold on, hold on a second. You take your <laughs> phone out of your pocket then you type in the, the yeah. code and then you open the – and you're like, hold on, hold on. Then you open yeah. Rimshot.app. Right right Update. Yeah. <laughs> This is going to be great. It's going to be great. Sometimes I open up Skype and it's just turned into a uh, an app like that. Yeah. Because every time I open Skype, it's a different uh, – something's different. Did you see what it said about you today? Hold Did, on. Is it talking about me? It was talking about you. Um, it said I, – I even screenshotted it. It Did said – give you my browser history? Edward Skoog, last seen four days ago. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> That's not good. Yeah, it's like were you were you looking for me? <laughs> I didn't know I was missing. I was right here. It's like an emergency. Yeah, that seems like something from the leftovers. A counter, <laughs> or like the Abe Vigoda Death Watch website. Yeah, is it still up? I don't know. There's Let's no see. way to tell. What do you mean? There's no way to tell. <laughs> No. I think uh I think it was like something like is Abe Vigoda alive dot com. Yeah. Abe Vigoda stat it's Abe Vigoda dot com. It says Abe yeah. Vigoda is dead. And that yeah. there's <laughs> it's rather rather <laughs> un unclassily un- un- put a couple of X's over his eyes. <laughs> oh god. That's the only other change to the page. Yeah. Well, it was the right move. I always Death? I was trying to quote the Godfather on that. No. The assassin when they kill him, you know. Yeah. When and then uh, the 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 mob death scene I always remember is Joe Pesci and Goodfellas where they lead lead him into the with the, his brother. No, it's Casino. No, he's alone. They, th- they he thinks they're going to make him. Uh, and they yeah. lead him into the empty room, and he just says, "I think he just says, oh shit.' Yeah, <laughs> and they yeah. shoot him." Yeah. Which was about as long. There was a thing going around the other day. Uh, people were talking about the Golden Globes online and got into the topic of uh, acceptance speeches. And uh, somebody linked to Joe Pesci's acceptance speech for I don't know if it was good Vinny? Yeah, something, something yeah. from the past. But it was like one sentence. It was spectacular. Uh-huh. That's a good death scene. His death in Casino is much more drawn out. I don't. Recall. I don't think I've seen it. No, they take him out in the desert and they make him and his brother dig a grave, where they've already dug it, and they beat the brother up in front of him, and uh, it goes eh. on a little bit longer. Eh. But that's. I mean, everything in Casino goes on a little, a little bit longer. Kind of a long movie. Maybe that's why I haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a hotel? It seems to always be on when I'm in a hotel. Uh, I have been in a hotel. Yeah. Uh, I have not watched Casino in mm. a hotel. Have you turned on the TV in a hotel? Because it was probably on. It, yeah, I usually don't. Sometimes I do, though. If First I thing ne- I do. If I'd never turned on a TV in a hotel, I would never have seen the reality show where people forge knives competitively. <laughs> what was it called? I think it's like Ford. Forging knives? 
<laughs> I think it's called Forged in Fire. Yeah. Yeah, Forged in Fire. It's a it's a knife uh, knife forging contest, and everyone's got their own their own forge and their hammering and their their grinding and then they chop things. The judges it's chop not things. Called knife fight. Great no, it's not. to a knife fight. Yeah. Yes, that's what it's called. Prequel yeah. knife fight prequel. <laughs> Unnamed knife fight knife fight prequel. That's what they should have called it. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, sometime in January. Uh, we last spoke before the the holiday business. Yeah. Uh, um, made it through. Oh yeah. Celebrated a new year in style. I hope. Yeah. No, it was, it's all it's all been real nice. We well. Uh, New Year's Eve was a, a fairly solitary, laid-back affair. Uh, we just watched the. Actually, went and signed up for the ABC app to watch the um, Dick Clark. Um, also, also gone, the Dick Clark, whatever it's called, the ball dropping, ball dropping daddies uh, celebration. Yeah, and I think that, it's called Dick Dick Clark's dropping balls. Yeah, and uh, and it's. <laughs> It was so terrible. It was yeah. it, it it was really bad. It wasn't even it it, it wasn't even fun, um, in a in an ironic way. Yeah. It had that lady, the the anti vaxxer lady, was one of the hosts. Jenny McCarthy. Yes. Mm-hmm. I uh, we we had we we had fondue. Oh. I'm glad you also had fun. We had fun. We had a fun New Year's Eve. I had, I had my friend Jeremy made some fondue. Went over to our friends Ed and Katie, and Megan and the kids all played and made it, made it till eleven. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You know, not bad. When, when you woke up the next day, did you did you eagerly tune into the news to see if we'd made it to 2019? I just assumed that we had. Turned out we did. Yeah. We'd spent uh, two or three days before that out at the uh, Oregon coast, down in Oceanside, Oregon, with with these friends. Yeah, uh, it was very rainy and windy and cold. Made some big fires. I was going to say, I hope you had some played fire. some board games, mm-hmm. drank some local beers. It was fine. It was fine. Just fine. It was fine. Yeah. Um, writing's going okay over here. How's it going with you? You written, writing anything? Well, I revised some short stories. Copy made them shorter. Um, one of them I did. One of them I added a little to. Mm. Uh, the other one I just tweaked a little. I sent them all over to my my representatives, and then I copy your, your edited a couple congressional of representatives. Yeah. <laughs> no, only I'm just I just send all my work now to Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and say, Hey, yeah. this is yeah. really cool. I thought you would like it. Yeah. She probably does. Because she likes cool things. She does. She's a cool lady. Yeah. Um No, I sent them to my agent and editor and then I uh, got some copy edits back for some other stuff. Basically the answer to your question is no, I'm not writing anything though. I just mm-hmm. I'm just sort of like clearing the deck. I did. I'm doing to my career what I 
I spent the break doing to my career what I also did to my office, which was just sort of fluffing the pillows and involving hang, gladiators. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gladiator involving. involving gladiators. Yeah. <laughs> I like movies about gladiators. Uh, but uh, I, I got a big old book in the mail that I'm supposed to review, and I'm very intimidated by it. So I think I got a couple more days to go before I can take a deep breath and dive in. And then I'll have to do it real fast to make my deadline, mm-hmm. uh, which is my method. Yeah, meeting deadlines. Wait until it's you. almost too late, and then meet, yeah. and then actually meet my deadline. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel? Okay. So I, there was a thing going around uh, a few weeks ago on Twitter about um, the the sort of d- d- the it was like a haha meeting a deadline haha as uh, as though any writers ever meet a deadline. But that's kind of – I think writers meet deadlines. Yeah. People who aren't writers miss deadlines <laughs> and have to do something else. I, I, that's kind of my philosophy anyway. But mm. maybe maybe everyone's out there missing deadlines and, and the whole system is has built into it the idea that writers are going to miss deadlines and they're going to need extensions. But I told a bunch of – I gave a little talk uh, – participated in a talk to a bunch of PhD students who were wondering how to how to write for a, a larger audience other than academia. And uh, so I talked a little bit about book reviewing and so on. But one of the pieces of advice I gave them was all be the person who is always who who always it gets your gets the word count right on and mm-hmm. gets it in the day before it's due. And mm-hmm. I cuz I'm presuming that's why I, I keep getting work cuz I actually hand stuff in. Yeah. <laughs> Well, trust, yeah, trust. Not just the genius part. Yeah. A trustworthy genius. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> we don't need just a genius for this. <laughs> but is he trustworthy? So, Alas, nay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're Scottish in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's the, the Scottish narrative. review of, of books. <laughs> <laughs> the Glasgow review of literature. <laughs> uh, so you sent me uh, you sent me some links. Yeah, I, I don't know if they even need to be shared. I just thought that uh, um, uh, if I liked them, then you... you just needed to vet them really quickly. I even forgot what they were. One of the second what I sent you yesterday was from um a, actually like a third cousin of mine. <laughs> Around Midvale um, by Elise I've, Coburn. I've, yeah. Yeah. She is like my third cousin. We have this so we have the same great grandfather, I think. Uh-huh. Um and there's a there's a spur of my family that came out to the northwest in the during the depression to get away from Kansas. And and they're here and there in places that I've lived. There was there was a, uh, a cousin in Superior, Montana, when we were in Missoula. I went and visited a few times. Oh, wow. And then his, he has a niece in Tillamook, who I visited a few times. I mean, not close relatives at all. But I'm aware of them. And, you know, given a chance, if I'm in a town, I'll look them up and, you know, check in and stuff. Sure. So this is like the sister of one that I know a little bit. I don't know this person. I don't know Elise, but she is a cousin. And I was just looking to see if – I was checking to see if this person is still alive or not. 
Sure. And I found that not only is she alive, but she is <laughs> also a writer. And that she's keeping us up to date on what's going on around Midvale, which I think is in Idaho. Yeah. It, so it's um, it this very much feels like a community newsletter in a in a novel. I I, th- I thought it was a bit of genius. I thought it, uh, you you would see it for what it is. Oh, it's 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 beautiful. <laughs> Maxine Fox update. While checking up on this lady who suffered a broken pelvis the first week of August, Wilfred reported that she is up and about and quote doing all the normal things but slower. And then uh, there's a lot of a lot of injury injury updates here. The t- Terry Bonner update. We we learned in this column last week that Terry had suffered the loss of a finger and partial loss of another in an unfortunate incident with his planer. But as always, he's been able to laugh at himself and make us laugh also. In a call this week, Terry joked that his hand now makes a permanent I love you in sign language. Terry has, between his fingers and toes, a total of 16-plus fractions of digits. As we learned last week, some toes were removed earlier during surgery. He adds that he is making one change in his workshop. He will alter the sign that declares... Lord, give me patience right now by removing the last two words. <laughs> that is fucking great. Yeah, it is great. <laughs> what date? What date did I send you? Because it's uh, um... This is November two thousand fifteen. Okay. At yeah. ten p.m. So she's burning the midnight oil, getting the yeah. getting the newsletter out. If you look at the top, you see this is from. This is around Weezer, Idaho, uh-huh. festival. Uh, the in the news. Um, do you have the in the news logo up oh, at the no. top, yes. uh, top of the page left hand corner? Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> you're looking at it, and it's looking at you. Yeah, because you're the news through a recent camera. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's spectacular. Yeah. yeah. Around Midvale, which sounds like a um, uh, oh, what's his name? Like Tess of the Durbervilles, the no, Thomas Hardy novel. Thomas Hardy, yeah, yeah. Around Midvale, I was thinking. Uh, I was thinking Sherwood Anderson. That would be good too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I do like a community newsletter. Yeah. Truly. Well, the other the other thing you sent me was um, was the personal website of Artie Butler, <laughs> composer, arranger, and music director for television and film. Yeah, there's a photo gallery here of him posed with all manner of uh, minor and some major celebrities, and uh, he's you know he's worked with worked with the greats, but <laughs> the. And the guy's accomplishments are oh. truly are impressive. Truly, he's the guy who who got Louis Armstrong to um, record "What a Wonderful World." Oh, really? <laughs> Wrote and produced "Copacabana," Barry Manilow. Yeah. Feeling all right, Joe Cocker. Um, a song I'm not familiar with by Paul Revere and the Raiders uh, called <laughs> "Indian Reservation." <laughs> I wonder why you hadn't Which, heard of that one. Probably hasn't. 
might not hold up. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the same the same song with different words. Cherry, cherry by Neil Diamond. Uh, produced Vicky Lawrence's version of the night the lights went out in Georgia. Yeah. Is that the version we know? I don't know. I don't know what we know. Yeah. I don't, I don't either, man. I don't either. So, like, a, <laughs> a, a, a really major music career, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I came across this because I was, I'm, I've been uh, kind of obsessed with the song Sunny by mm-hmm. Bobby Hebb. I don't you know, know the song? No. Sunny. Gonna... Yesterday by something, do, 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 rain. Sunny, do 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 do, ba da 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 da, and everybody's done. It's like 1965, 66, and I was just looking to see who. I didn't. I, I just want to know more about the the song and the recording, and so this guy was one of the arrangers for that. So I was like, well, I wonder what else Artie Butler's been up to. Yeah, a lot. A lot. The, the thing about this website, though, is though he is super legit. The website <laughs> feels like the website of someone who's yeah, not at who's all not. legit no, and is no, trying very hard to make themselves seem legit. And then you actually read what it says and you're like, oh, yeah, you've you produced like Barbara Streisand records. Like you're an actual guy in the music business. Yeah. And uh, But the best part of it um, – and it's all – the biography is written in the third person, but it's obviously him who's writing it. And then it lapses into first person in italics, mm-hmm. as though yeah. the as though the third personized version of himself it has um, is now handing the mic over to the real him. Yeah, he's quoting like the Fernando real Pessoa. Him. <laughs> <laughs> he's the Fernando Pessoa of musical biographies. <laughs> oh, anyway, hold on just a sec. Got to write that down. Um, but you got him. You got him with Buddy Rich. And yeah. this is it's kind of a big guy who's had a lot of looks over the years. So <laughs> one thing about the photo gallery is it does not look like the same guy. No, it totally doesn't. It really doesn't. Looks like the guy who then like ate the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> but here he is with George Siegel, Diane Keaton, Tony Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> Theodore Bikel, who I believe was uh, uh, Tevier. Um, Regis Philbin. Yeah. Tony Danza. But I got I to gotta read this bit of the bio where he turns it over to himself. Um, and there's a, there's a photo of a crossword puzzle, a New York Times crossword puzzle. <laughs> At 6 a.m. one morning, my phone started ringing. Friends on the East Coast, because... <laughs> Because they see it. They see it on the East Coast first. Friends on the East Coast called to tell me (laughs) that I was in the New York Times crossword puzzle. I thought it was a gag and they were just kidding. Around 8 a.m., the phone started ringing off the hook. It was staying on the hook till then. It was from family and friends all over the country. It was true. I really was in the New York Times crossword puzzle. I could not believe it. I ran down and bought a copy. I thumbed through the paper and there I was, 45 across. I've been called many things in my life, but 45 across was not one of them. <laughs> I stood there in total shock. I've often said the journey we take in life is filled with surprises. This sure surprised the hell out of me. 
I even got a call from a gal in New York who brushed me off hey. when I was out in the world dating. It seems that she had second thoughts about me. How coincidental. I wonder if she reads the New York Times. Show don't tell, right? <laughs> A gal who brushed me off. Oh. Oh, that's a God. that's a magnificent text. It's it's really something. <laughs> Everything you need to know about this guy <laughs> is in his reaction yeah. being in the crossroad. Yeah. Puzzle. Because it's it's just it's not as significant as his other accomplishments and no. yet and no. yet <laughs> No. He made what a wonderful world happen. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the italic, the italic sidebar text is <laughs> reserved for the time he was in the New York Times crossword, and a woman yeah. who spurned him gave him a call. Yeah, yeah. there's some host- there's a lot of hostility in there. <laughs> truly, truly, a lot of hostility throughout Artie Butler's whole homepage. Yeah, there really yeah. is. Uh, and, and some of that hostility is is evident in the photo gallery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The expressions of the people he's cozying up to. But if you, if you looked at the, the people who made us laugh, which is a separate tab. All right, hold on. Is it under the... There's so many tabs. It's <laughs> a lot of tabs. The people who made us laugh? Is it under the, the photo gallery? Uh, yeah, photo gallery, it's it's uh, horizontal to the words photo gallery. Okay. Oh, the people who make us laugh. Click here. Yeah. All right. And here you've got them. Oh, it's a it's a comedians only selfie page. You got Buddy Hackett, George Burns, Milton Berle, also us, just him and Milton Berle. Bonus Berle, bonus it's a bonus Berle. <laughs> Need to write that one down. Red buttons, Henny Youngman, <laughs> Sid Caesar, Jay Leno, and Groucho Marx. I guess it's Groucho Marx. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a very uh, advanced in age, Groucho Marx, but um, and a very young Jay Leno. Yeah, uh, but you can click on the photos and you get the whole story. Oh, really? Oh my god, yeah. this is a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. It's you almost get, no. like it's all. I can almost see the IT professional who who made this for him. There were a lot of meetings where someone had to sit there and take notes on all these anecdotes, probably a lot of recorded anecdotes that were transcribed and inserted onto the website. All rights reserved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. A, a special, a special page for photos of him with comedians. Fantastic. Yep. So Artie Butler, he's, in, he's really, he's hugging Milton Berle. Very very affectionately, he loves him so much, and he's so much. And he's so much shorter, shorter than Milton Berle is. Milton Berle was like a father to me. I first met him when I was a young kid. I played piano in a nightclub where he was performing. It was my first week on the job. At the rehearsal, Milton was real tough on me. He really worked me over, but I got through it. Made him laugh. Besides, after the rehearsal, he sent his brother to bring me to his dressing room. I really thought I was going to get fired. I was petrified. I walked into his dressing room and he asked me to sit down. I remember looking up at him and seeing what I thought was about a three-foot-long cigar sticking out of his mouth. He said, 
I know I was tough on you, Artie, but I need my music to be a certain way. Otherwise, I can't do my act properly. Besides, I could tell in five minutes, you've got what it takes to be a pro. You don't crumble under pressure. In addition, you cracked me up. You then wrote something on a piece of paper and said, here's my phone number. Give me yours and we'll be friends forever. This is, I don't think this is verifiable. After this engagement, I'm going back to California. Oh. He died soon after. Aw. That's friends how a lot forever. of these ends. Almost all of almost all of these end with we were gonna be great friends. He died soon after. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't laugh, but uh there's there's a there's like a, a just a an almost Trumpian thirst to these anecdotes. Yeah. There's some thirsty anecdotes. Did you like the uh did you like the <laughs> you like last night's hamburger feast? <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? Hamburgers? Ham. I can't Ham-der- remember. Hamderbers? Ham Dobbers? Hamderbers. Ham- Ham- Love these Pam Dobbers. Good pull. Good pull. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, it's a classy night with the Clemson. He first said that there were 300 of them, and then within a couple hours, he'd upgraded it to 1,000. And then this morning, he said that there were 1,000, and they ate them all. Yeah. Clemson Tigers did did not eat 1,000 hamburgers last night. It didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're, 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 we're... It's all ruined, isn't oh, it? It's, <laughs> it's just all ruined. There's just no... Yeah. There's nothing. There's no hope. Uh, oh, God. Um, I'm uh, I'm going to be out of a job. The, uh, the This excellent economy has, has led to a contraction in the uh, uh, enrollments at the community colleges. Oh, God. And so they're letting go most of the part timers. I'm sorry uh, to hear it. Well, I knew it was going to happen. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not too bothered because I thought they actually said this was going to happen last spring, and I ended up getting two, two extra semesters past the, uh, past what I thought was going to happen. So I got some reprieve. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm looking for something to do the, with uh, my time. The dog and child stewardship is not uh, is not eaten eaten up your child. Time. Child's in school. I can't really. <laughs> Before he started school, I could I could say, oh, you know, I'm staying at home. We've got the child, and somebody has to stay home with the child. But really, just now somebody needs to get him to put on his shoes and take him to school, mm-hmm. and then pick him up from school eventually. That leaves a lot of time in there. Sure. <sighs> I figure something. I'm interviewing for this and that. I've been been talking. Have you ever thought of just getting a like a part time job, job like a non teaching job? Like, what, oh, you know? I, did, I, did I tell you about my interviews? No. Uh, the late summer, I interviewed uh, to be a, a, a to not to be a butcher, but to work the meat counter. Oh, at yeah, New I remember East. that. And I uh, interview. Oh, I did not get the job. I interviewed <laughs> to um, uh, drive a beer truck. Yeah, yeah. A beverage, a beverage company, where they one of the questions was why didn't you know we we looked you up and you you did go to college why didn't you put 
that on your resume. It's like, well, I didn't think that it was relevant. They said, why would you lie on your resume? Because <laughs> I wanted, didn't want you to think I was overqualified. Well, the implication was that they wanted people who were honest. But... <laughs> but they also didn't want some fucking college graduate. <laughs> 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 the fact that I got the interview was some sign that I was right. Um, Shit. Yeah, so I've applied for all sorts of just jobs, and I, I uh, uh, don't seem to be able to get them. Well, um, my, you know, uh, who's working at the at a meat counter is is uh, my son Owen. Yeah. He got, How'd he get that job? By by not attending college. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> um, meat counter is a good. I mean, if you if you can abide the smell of carcasses, yeah. it's a great. Um, it's a, it looks like a great job. You get he to wear does, an apron. He doesn't mind it at all. Actually, he's, yeah. you know, he's making money and uh, he works the deli counter at the supermarket. He's just slicing meat all yeah. day and yeah, he's not people. chopping up beef sides, right? He's no, no, he's not butchering, yeah. but he's. Um, yeah. You know he's he's he gets to hand the meat to the people. The people need the meat. Yeah. So his goal is to save up ten grand, and then he's going to go on tour. He's going to set up a tour for his uh, one man uh, pop electronica act motorcycles. motorcycles. And um, he decided that what his his plan is he's going to go to a going to go to a city. Not necessarily have a gig. He's going to go to the city. Have a residency there for a couple of weeks, and what he's going to do is perform pranks, <laughs> and then he'll take the temperature of the city, and if it seems receptive, he will play a show. If they've earned it, yeah, stunts. He's uh, like uh, publicity uh-huh. stunts. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, I think that that, that seems very reasonable. <laughs> but I think one of the goals is for him to uh, drive all the way to Missoula, his birthplace. Visit his birthplace by himself. Has he been to Missoula? You all were there maybe when he was a young teenager? Not even when he was um, five. Is that how long it's been? Yeah. He hasn't been there since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it hasn't changed much, as we've discussed many times. No, I think he'll probably like Missoula. We're, uh, uh, Jill was there a couple of days ago. She goes oh, there really? every month, every month to do a couple of days of work. Oh, great! And she gave her niece a little tour of campus. Uh-huh, great! Her niece is graduating from college, and I think it would be a good match. So, would a number of other things, but uh, you graduating on her way to college, graduating on her way to college. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's uh, it's got its drawbacks, but I think that's a nice little place to go to college. Does it still have an English department? There's no actual college remaining, but you, <laughs> you could go there and like pretend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, they closed down the whole college. Um, it's a Walmart. No, they have a they they still have the department distinctions. I think that uh, uh, I think they're real really struggling, and they've got a crazy new president who's young and it seems like he's positioning himself to like be senator or governor, like he. He's younger than us. His name is Seth Bodnar, mm-hmm. which is a made-up name or a, mast- a name of a mastodon, I think. Just <laughs> <laughs> all the name from a mastodon. 
and he uh, has, uh, has no no experience in education except aside from having attended a college at some point. He's been in finance or something, and he and is it's it's very it's very odd. It's a very odd odd thing, and uh, um, I don't know if, if it saves the college. It's fine, but it's. Just seems kind of, yeah. It all seems kind of wrong. Everything seems wrong these days, John. Everything's wrong. I don't disagree on the wrongness of things. Uh, however, there's one thing that went beautifully mm-hmm. right in my life. Yeah, I went to the uh, cheesecake factory. Ye old cheesecake factory. I I don't know how ye old it was, but. It's a cheesecake factory, you know the. Yeah, had the, you ever been to a cheesecake factory? I'd never been to one. You have one in Ithaca? No, but there's one uh, at the uh, Syracuse Mall, <laughs> aka Destiny USA, is the name nice. of the mall in Syracuse. And I went up there. My uh, receiver uh, was clicking and popping again. So, uh, and the stereo repair shop in Ithaca went out of business. So, I had to bring it up to kind of a cool place called United Radio in Syracuse nice. yeah. where all the repair technicians are wearing uh, lab coats. I um, like it. In operating in extraordinarily clean rooms. And when I brought in my old Marantz receiver and set it down, it was one of those, hey, so-and-so, come and check this out kind of things. It's like, oh, you've got one of these. Well, have you ever seen this one? I've got this one. And oh, I have this one. It's kind of fun to nerd out with the other middle-aged men. Um, then we went to the mall. Um, was it near the mall? Uh, it was pretty close to the mall. I mean, 10-minute 10, 10 drive. Um, and uh, it was me and uh, Stephanie and Oliver. I told you that my... Yes. Yeah, he's going by Oliver now. His true, I like it. His true name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we settled on Cheesecake Factory, and I quickly crowdsourced what I should eat there from the internet and was told uh, that a must is these fried balls of macaroni and cheese with a, mm-hmm. with a crusty breading around the edge. And I have to say, they were spectacular. Do you, can you see the factory floor? From where the seating, did you have a good window <laughs> where you could look down and see the factory workers yeah. making cheesecake? <laughs> Assembling the cheesecakes. Yeah. We've got like the long long rollers, uh, big industrial it's smelters. got to be one of the most architecturally bizarre. It's probably all computerized these days. Not the factory, this, the, the restaurant itself. Yeah, it's all computerized. No, it's all they're robots. All, they're all 3D printed. Yeah. They have the 3D printers of <laughs> 3D. cheese. They have a, do they have a 3D printer at the table? <laughs> 3D prints the food at the table. <laughs> That's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. 3D print your own cheesecake, nerd. <laughs> That's, That's the ad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I also had a kale salad. It's maybe like every salad at every American restaurant. It was a little bit too sweet, but it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and uh, bottomless iced tea. How much do you want? Two two glasses. 
Yeah. I I got to say the one thing that surprised me about Cheesecake Factory was every item on the menu has a calorie count next to it. They probably didn't really want to do that. Maybe. They probably had to do that. I mean, my reaction to that is, Because we're first talking of all, some pretty big numbers. Well, sure. Some, sure, yeah. We looked like for... five digits. We found, I think, the highest cook, the highest calorie item on the entire menu. And it's a huge menu. We poured over it for a good 10 minutes looking for the... the the highest calorie count of something like 2,800. I can't remember what it was though. Um, but I, I, I don't, I mean, I have my doubts about the pseudoscience of, of calorie counting to begin with, but, um, I didn't want to eat anything after I saw that. I don't know what kind of service they think that they're providing. I don't know. Maybe the more, maybe the, maybe the cheaper items are the, are the, higher caloric so they're trying to push you down into the more expensive things that have fewer calories well you have two sets of numbers you're contending with in your in your choices right you've got the <laughs> calorie number yeah. and then also the the cost of the meal yeah and something inside of you is is making some ratio yeah <laughs> right trying to get the ratio of dollar to calorie and even if you understand that that that's not the way you should be thinking of it. Um, I mean, if you're not, if you don't go into a cheesecake factory, if you're not equipped to try to to figure out how to maximize dollar to calorie ratios, <laughs> <clears throat> like if you're somebody who, for whom that would never occur, to whom that would never occur, you're not crossing that threshold. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're 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 you're, you're eating uh, out of the dumpster at the co-op. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Which is probably a pretty, I mean, pretty good dumpster. Yeah, I'd say so. Which what have you eaten lately that's good? Brazil nuts. Mm. The 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 cheap grocery place, grocery outlet. A lot of off brand stuff over at the grocery outlet. Yeah. Um, they had they had a big sale on Brazil nuts, roasted Brazil nuts. Yeah. Uh, it was a pretty good price. Those are those uh, uh, dollar, dollar to calorie ratio. Those, was pretty those good. Long boys, the wedges. They're like yeah, the, the JoJo. Avoid, the JoJo yeah, of nuts, the, right? It's a nut JoJo. Yeah, yeah, JoJo nut. Yeah, the ones you avoid, you pick around in a mixed nut. Yeah, um, tin. <laughs> yeah, and they're, they're also expensive, and nobody wants them. And uh, <laughs> but uh, you get a bag of roasted Brazil nuts. Um, you've got a pretty good snack, you know, because yeah. you don't want too many. One or two, maybe three. They're big nuts. It's like the capybara of nuts. <laughs> sure. A capybara is a lot bigger than any other rodent. It's not just the largest rodent. It's yeah. way bigger than other rodents. Yeah. The Brazil nut is way bigger than other nuts. Also from Brazil. That's why my mind was probably going there. Sure. Although it's possible Brazil nuts are not from Brazil. Um. Anyway, I recommended Brazil nuts. Okay. If you're looking for a snack, <laughs> Brazil nuts from that weird grocery that you don't actually tell your partner you're shopping at. <laughs> <laughs> mm, these pork chops are great. Where'd you get them? Safeway? 
<laughs> Those are pretty good. Had some people over last night, and uh, uh, for this, this class I'm teaching, this kind of one-on-one class that we meet as a group. And uh, a couple of the people, I think, I think this happened right before we talked last time. A couple of the people are vegan, and one has a potato allergy, and so I, I had to um, go to the vegan grocery store and the vegan bakery mm-hmm. to uh, so there would be some good snacks. I think you've praised the vegan bakery before. Highly praised it. Yeah. I would recommend it and not tell people it's vegan because it's just a great bakery. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's what you want. Yeah. Yeah, we had some people over um, because because we have a kosher kitchen, it's kind of complicated to have meat when people come over who don't know the shtick. So um, we usually will have like a vegetarian meal just by default and not even mention that that's what we're doing. But um, this last time we had people over, we only belatedly realized it was basically vegan, just just about everything. Um, yeah. And uh, it was all great. So mm-hmm. not that I'm going vegan. In fact, I would like some brisket right now. I would like some brisket. I might go make some. I think uh, I think the offing today is uh, um, IKEA at home. IKEA is what I call it. I call it IKEA at home. Uh, it's some uh, meatballs and egg noodles. Oh, and and mashed potatoes. Yeah, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. It's IKEA at home. You're double dipping the carbs there. I like it. Yep, pretty good. You got a little gravy. Yeah, a little canned gravy. Mm-hmm. 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 Gravy from a can. IKEA at home. Need a lot of canned foods. Uh, uh, also, at, at this at the grocery outlet, they had a sale <laughs> on corned beef hash. Okay. Can. And uh, you can un uncan that, put it in a you know pan, heat it up. Mm-hmm. If nobody else is around, and that is good <laughs> eating. <laughs> you keep you keep making little comments that suggest that you have. Your, your, the lines of food communication in your marriage are not fully open, is what I'm hearing. Well, so Jill often gets home after dinner, right? Yeah. She's often working an hour or two away, and so you know, she finishes work and then navigates traffic. And sometimes Oscar and I and Norm uh, need to have dinner before, uh, and it's not a family dinner. Sure. And uh, sometimes uh, it's a different different outcome. Different audiences, different outcomes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> You've hashed from a can. I got no problem with that. Microwave lean cuisine. Mm-hmm. Pretty mm-hmm. good. McDonald's. <laughs> 1,000 hamburgers. Hamburgers? Hamburgers. Ham sobriquets. One thousand. One thousand hamburgers. The picture I did see the pictures of him standing by the table. Why is he wearing an overcoat? <laughs> Why? <laughs> some, some of the most fucked up pictures I have ever seen in my life are Donald J. Trump standing around a table of fast oh food grinning. <laughs> He, he's literally living in the White House, and he served these kids fast food that yeah. he boasted that he paid for. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh. Not only does he have to make everything about him, he has to make it all gross as well. <laughs> That's his checklist. Is this about me? Is it gross? <laughs> Let's move ahead. <laughs> Execute plan. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, what a what a what a delight. <laughs> Delight. So, uh, a, a couple of quick. I have a couple of quick book uh, recommendations. One of them is uh, Sandra Newman, someone uh, who I've gotten to know on the internet, but uh, whose work I had never read. Oh, I, th- I think I know Sandra Newman. Yeah, um, she's got a new book coming out called. She's got. She's. Uh, she seems to be about as prolific as I am, and I. See, I presume we're around the same age too. But she. Um, she has a new book coming out called The Heavens, and she had some extra copies and was getting in touch with some Twitter friends and saying, you want a mm-hmm. galley? And uh, uh, so we traded books. And man, this book is great. Yeah? Uh, it pretends to be, it's a novel, so it pretends to be a kind of smart but light, lightly romantic tale of a kind of meet-cute between two sort of moneyed New Yorkers. Um, okay. And it begins, you notice creeping in at the edges some some weird things about the new, it's not quite the New York that you know. It's a little different. At first, almost the differences seem somewhat whimsical. Um, and then they become a little bit darker. And you gradually realize that the fact that it's a different New York is integral to the plot and it becomes stranger uh, every 50 pages or so she like ratchets it up a little bit and it becomes less frivolous and more intense and more dark and meaningful um, and by the end she's sort of just dis- dismantling uh, the kind of cu- like class uh, complacency of love stories um, in a completely unexpected way. Um, and I was, you know, when you start reading, at least for me, the, her writing is such that it just, I'm, I was already delighted to just read a, you know, a smart romance. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, I've never seen a book just raise the stakes over and over and over and never look back, right? Um, it keeps it keeps shifting the goalposts. Uh, and uh, I think, think that's just, I think it's just great. So I think that's coming out next month. And then um, another book that's about to come out is the uh, new book by Sally Rooney. I, I liked her. No. F- I liked her first novel so much that I that I actually ordered this one from Britain, where it's already been published. It's called Normal People, and it's again actually this it's, it's sort of similar in that it is also about a um, two young people who fall in love, um, and it traces the next five or six years of their lives as they. It sort of reveals just how messed up they both are, um, especially the young woman and their efforts to love each other uh, or to figure out what to do with their feelings for each other as they sort of drift together and drift apart again. And it's set against the backdrop of the kind of um, increasingly obvious uh, um, kind of class and money differences among Mm -hmm. people in their 20s. Uh, Sally Rooney. Sally Rooney, yeah. Remind, I think I said on the, on Twitter, it reminded me of uh, a little bit of 80s, 1980s 
writers that we like, especially like Ann Beattie and the mm-hmm. and the uh, old old Alice Munro stories. Mm-hmm. Really, cl- like same thing with uh, Sandra Newman. Both of them have they're very different style of writers, but they both have very clear prose that gets out of the way of the story, which is not the only way to write, but it is a, a way to write that I find very appealing. And they're both very good at it. So this is the book. That's that, that and the I'll Dave Weigel book I like. Yeah, I will have to get those. Well, how about you? Um, I've been reading uh, books, three books published by this poet, Tori Dent, who died young of AIDS in, uh, in like the 90s. I remember reading a little bit of her when she died, because I was just kind of new to reading, and hadn't thought of her in 20 years, and then it came up twice in conversation, and so I borrowed the books and, and been rereading this uh, book that she wrote while she was dying called HIV Mon Amour. Oh, let me look for that. Tori Dent. And it is so incredible. So amazing, these books. Cold and just like formally and structurally amazing and, and I mean, emotionally overwhelming. But, uh, wow. um, I mean, it's like, uh, it's like the poems are like race cars. Like being in a race car, somebody else is driving recklessly. Wow, it's thrilling, terrifying, and and pretty fun, and with death, you know, the end. Um, Spoilers. Tori Dent. So yeah. this came out in uh, two thousand. Was it two thousand when it came out? Yeah. yeah, it looks that way. Yeah, yeah, Tori Dent. Great. Incredible, kind of long poems, long lined. Um, you know, maximalist. Um, really we, keep, we keep using that word today. I'm, I'm, I'm maximalist. Making... Yes, it's good. It's a gladiatorial word. <laughs> <laughs> and two other books. Um, I don't think we talked about it yet. It's Human Hours, Catherine Barnett's new book of poems. Oh yeah, I I think um, uh, I think we, you were anticipating its uh, its publication. I'm sure I will. Yeah, I now have have it is available for all to read, and is the best book of poems probably of the last ten years. Wow! By anybody, I am not surprised to see that it's published by Grey Wolf. It is published by Grey Wolf. Her first two books are fantastic, but there was a lot of restraint and composition in these. These these poems. It's a big book of poems. And it's a different. If you've read her before, you know it's a it's a um, you know the different. Uh, so I'm, uh, relaxing into genius, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really great stuff. And then this really weird little book that's probably too expensive for anybody uh, by <laughs> uh, collaboration of Ben Lerner and Alexander Kluge, the German. Writer and filmmaker, it's kind of a like collaborator with Vim Vendors that era. Yeah, uh, called the Snows of Venice. It's kind of an art book collaboration. Uh, ben and Kluge, and there's some art by uh, Gerhard Richter in it, which I think is why it's right. expensive. He's one of my favorite painters. Twenty-eight euros, so not not that hugely expensive. I see a euro. Book. A euro is like one American mortgage. I, I don't know what the exchange rate is. 
at this point. Uh, I don't know. We're putting but... we're putting on the, we're putting on. You're not coming to the AWP, nah. are you? We're putting on this big party Saturday night. Yeah. Of AWP. Who's the we? The well, like uh, Mother Foucault's bookshop. Yeah. And some of us troglodytes who hang around it. <laughs> okay. Um, kind of the same squad that helped put on the Airstream Poetry Festival. Sure. So it's called the Booksellers Ball, and it's the Saturday night of AWP at the Star Theater, which is big theater. Shall uh, our listeners downtown? consider this an invitation? Put it on the calendar. All right. And we've got a bunch of great readers. We've got, uh, just yesterday, agreeing to it, your, your Alice Bolans. Yeah, yeah. We've got, she agreed to it, I hope that she remembers. You've got <laughs> Kelly Luce. <laughs> okay. Diana Nguyen. We've got uh, uh, our major sponsors, Third Man Books. They're bringing some people, including the great weird poet Abe Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, McSweeney's is sponsoring it. They've got some some people who are having their first book coming out on McSweeney's. Um, Wave Books. You got your Matthew Zapruder and I are going to play um, Country Beard or Hipster Beard. We're going to lead the group and. Trying to figure out <laughs> whose beard is what. Oh boy, good luck with that. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, a huge amount of fun. It sounds it. I'm I I'm sad that I'm going to miss it. And if it were uh, a couple of towns over, I wouldn't. But but the reason I'm telling you is not just to brag about this awesome party that we're throwing. Yes, that has that has excellent literary quality. Mm-hmm. Um. But also, we just uh, we have a small Canadian press is going to be involved, and um, we were asking the sponsors to you know kick in a little bit to help us with uh, um, costs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because we have bands, we have rock and roll bands, ah. we've got the Savage Family Band, we've got the X Kids, we've got uh, other stuff. We've got a DJ later. We have it from 5 p.m. to 2 a.m. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've got a lot going on. But so we have this, this small Canadian checkbook press that's been one of the sponsors. And I said, you know, if you all could, you know, kick in like 100 bucks or something like that, that would, you know, be reasonable. You know, uh, you get some free drinks out of it and a lot of good publicity. And, and they, were, they were so, um, they were like, oh, yeah, it's not a problem. And of course, it's not a problem. It's not a lot of money. But then I suddenly realized they might not have been aware that I was asking. We're talking about U.S. dollars (laughs) instead of pretend Canadian money. (laughs) They just reach for the. I'm not up on the exchange rates lately. They just reach for the nearest board game, pull out the the toy money, and yeah, they might have negative money. Like, like the American exchange rate, just because everything is so topsy turvy, yeah. might be like negatives. Like, uh, yeah, one American dollar is you owe us two Canadian dollars. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's complicated. It's complicated economics, but that's the kind of times we're in, John. And uh, I hope that everything is back to normal the next time that we speak. Oh, Eddie. Soon. Eddie, what a what a vain hope. But maybe. <laughs> Was that one of the Star Wars prequels? A vain hope? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. the uh, waiter at the restaurant we were at last night, uh, 
he had a Star Wars shirt that was very worn by worn out by years of you know years of uh, yeah uh, of wearing it and uh, years of tears years oh tears uh, and but only the S was worn the first S was worn off so it said Tar Wars and Owen immediately began spinning out a fantasy film uh, series. Uh, sort of sound a little bit like Dune to me, where the mm-hmm. tar economy is the driver of all kinds of conflict and drama. Yeah, or it's like uh, there's no, they need to go on an adventure, but they just can't get their feet out of the sticky tar. <laughs> so if like, only we could get our feet out of this tar, we could save the universe. But this tar keeps sticking. I got my foot out of my boot, but now my foot's stuck in the tar. <laughs> and we're at war. These are truly the tar wars. <laughs> it's my favorite Beckett play. <laughs> yeah. All right, you want to wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. All right, have a good one, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, John. Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? Then we'll give you some lunch Do you have a hankering for lunch? Well then come to lunch Cause it's time for lunch Box with Ed and John That's right, it's time for lunch